Father, again, we just uh, come to you, and uh, Lord, we, we're so blessed to, to have you uh, reveal yourself through your word, and uh, Lord, to show us the events that are coming soon in the future uh, related to your church, related to this world, and Lord, today we're going to get this warning to, to, not only, Lord, have you warned us to watch, but also to come out of those things, Lord, that that uh, aren't of you, and uh, any organization, any church, any religion, Lord, that, that uh, isn't set uh, in a strong relationship with you based upon your word, Lord, uh, we get this great rebuke to just come out of that situation. So, so Lord, uh, help us to examine our lives today. Help us to examine our own church, Lord. Just make sure that we're not part of this, this Antichrist uh, church, this Antichrist uh, government that's... Uh, about to take over this world, Lord. So uh, we just ask for you to give us revelation through the book of Revelation today, and we know you can do that. Uh, you, we can only have that revelation by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for, for him, and Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done for us. Uh, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're moving right along in Revelation. We're not going to go very far today, but uh, we're in chapter 18. Uh, we get through 18, and it really starts getting good. Uh, it's all good, but it's uh, not quite as depressing once we hit uh, chapter 19 and we finish up the book of Revelation. So, so I'm trying to, I was trying to go as fast as I could through the tough stuff, and then uh, when we got to the good stuff, slow down some, but I'm going to slow down a little bit today uh, because I think there's a very important message here for all of us right here in these first uh, few verses. Uh, years ago, when I was teaching through the book of Revelation, uh, the last time here at Calvary Chapel, I believe it was the uh, year that Barack Obama ran for uh, president, and uh, we, were, we were going through uh, this section of Revelation, and my brother was following me online in Birmingham, and uh, he called me one day, and he told me, he said, I know who the Antichrist is. And I'm going to reveal it to you. My brother's a jokester, so I, I, you know, I couldn't wait to hear his answer. And he said, the Antichrist is Oprah Winfrey. I said, well, that's a possibility. But I laughed. And a few days later, he sent me an email. I want to read you the email he sent me. He, he said he had changed his mind. He said, George, I've decided that Oprah Winfrey is not the Antichrist after all. Instead, she is the whore of Babylon. I don't know why I didn't see this before. She was a worldwide outreach. She has a worldwide outreach and great influence across many waters. Many kings have gone after her, lusting for her power. First it was Bill Clinton, and then now it's Barack Obama. And get this, she loves to wear scarlet and purple. And often on her TV show, she adorns herself with gold, jewelry, gems, and pearls. And don't forget that she played in the movie Color Purple. The Bible says she has a mystery name. The Bible says the harlot has a mystery name stamped on her forehead. I figure it's the name of her corporation, Harpo, which is Oprah spelled backwards. She lives in the city of Hollywood, the, the, the city whose immorality and sins have reached to the heavens. And he went on to say, he said, I know this must be a shock at this, at this great flash of, flash of knowledge, but I know it is true because this inspiration came to me while I was in the bathroom this morning 
And that's where I always get my greatest revelations. <laughs> now, my brother's a ham, but uh, it shows you how wild these speculations get about who the Antichrist is and who the whore of Babylon is. Well, we can, I, I don't believe we can figure out the Antichrist. We're not going to be able to know who the Antichrist is until the great tribulation begins. We know his, he's not going to be revealed unto them, so we're going to be in heaven when, when that takes place. But we can figure out who, the, who Mystery Babylon is, because as we looked last week in chapter 17, we are given several clues as to her identity. And I believe we got the clincher there in verse number 18 of chapter 17. So go with me there for a second. It, it says, and the woman whom you... Who, whom you saw is. Now, he's, when he uses is there, he's saying in your day, John, it's that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, what city in John's day reigned over the kings of the earth? It was none other than Rome. And so we, we're certain, we can, we can all be all but certain that the great harlot uh, Babylon is in Rome and the city itself is part of mystery Babylon. But we're also given another clue that tells us that this one world government and this one world religion isn't just in Rome, it really is going to permeate the entire world because look at uh, verse chapter 17, verse 15. It says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So we can conclude from that verse and from this passage in chapter 17 that any one world government, any government that is anti-Christ is going to be judged and destroyed in the great tribulation. Now how do we know whether or not a government is anti-Christ? Well, if it's humanistic, it's secular, it's materialistic, uh, and it passes laws and operates in opposition to God, then it is anti-Christ. I'm looking at what's going on in California right now, and they're talking about banning any book that, that uh, says anything negative about homosexuality, and that might mean that they ban the Bible. They're, if they pass that law and they enforce that law as, it, as, it, as they might enforce it, and they do ban the Bible, then what, how are they operating? They're operating in opposition to God. And so that is anti-Christ. Now, any religion that is anti-Christ is also going to be destroyed. Now, what's it mean to be a false religion, or the religion of the antichrist? Any religion that denies the gospel of Jesus Christ is anti-Christ. Any religion that offers salvation through other, any other means but the cross of Jesus Christ is anti-Christ. Any religion that embraces relativism uh, is anti-Christ. In other words, it, a, a religion that says it's society, the, the, the present society that determines what's right and wrong, what's truth and a lie, not the word of God. That is anti-Christ. And in the Great Tribulation, there's going to be all sorts of religions that are going to join together as one 
And they're going to be against God, not with God, because if they're against the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're against his word, the absolute truth of his word, then they are antichrist and they are going to be destroyed. Now, in chapter 18, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the destruction of Babylon, this fall of Babylon that we'll see uh, beginning in verse number 1. So, so go with me to chapter 18, and let's pick up in verse number 1, and listen to what John says. He says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now, who does that look like at first? When you look at this, it looks to me like it very well might be none other than Jesus Christ himself. I mean, he illuminates the whole earth. He has great authority. The only problem with that, Jesus doesn't just have great authority. He has all authority. So I kind of lean to the fact that this probably isn't Jesus Christ, that it's probably one of the archangels. Maybe Michael, maybe Gabriel. Maybe not Michael or Gabriel because he's not named. And usually when Michael or Gabriel appear in the Bible, their name is given to us. So, so it's probably just an archangel. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. One archangel comes to this earth with great authority and he illuminates, he lights up the entire earth. Now, that's one angel. Can you imagine when you get to heaven and there are all these archangels there and all of that light. Then you add to that the light of God who lights up, illuminates the entire universe. Let me tell you what, you might want to take a pair of sunglasses with you when you go to heaven. And if you're going to hell, give me yours because you're not going to need them because it's going to be utter darkness there. So, so uh, what, a, what, I mean, just, just think about what heaven's going to be, how majestic it's going to be when, when the glory of God and the glory of these angels is shining all around us. Hey, you're going to be shining too. Uh, so, so what a place that's going to be. Now, go with me to verse number 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is falling, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And when we see birds in the scripture, what do they refer to? They refer to demons. And so this place is going to become a place where it is just full of demonic activity, this mystery Babylon. Now, here's the way things are going to play out. In the first half of the Great Tribulation, there's going to be a time of peace and prosperity like this world has never seen. It, people are going to call it mankind's greatest hour. And it's going to be a product of this one world government and this one world religion of the Antichrist. And more than likely, it's going to be headquartered in Rome. And from this, coming forth from this government will be this one world economy, which, and there also will be worldwide peace. So things are going to look pretty good. I mean, it's going to look like, hey, man, happy days are here again, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to last forever, and we're free to do whatever we want, and we don't have to answer to God, and, and we're just going to have peace and prosperity forever. But there's one big problem here. All of this is being backed by demonic activity. It's being backed by Satan. It's godless. It's more than godless. It's demonic. And so uh, 
look at verse number two. I mean, the angel, you know, says, hey, uh, uh, Babylon, Babylon the great has fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every clean and hated burden. So, so this is going to be a pit of demons on this earth in these last days. That's why I know we're not going to be here. We're going to be out of here. The church is going to be gone. Uh, we're going to be where things are holy, where things are right, where, where truth and righteousness rule and reign. We're going to be in heaven with the Lord. Now, look at the, what the angel says about this demonic-filled uh, world at this point. Babylon the great, the great is fallen. She's going to fall. She's going to be destroyed. This city, this government, this one-world religion, it's all going to come down in the great tribulation. Now, there are some scholars out there who, I don't know if you remember, uh, in the uh, second Iraq war when Saddam Hussein fell, uh, there are some biblical scholars who say that was the fall of Babylon because literal Babylon uh, lies in modern-day Iraq. And so when Saddam Hussein fell, they believed that that was the fall of Babylon. But you, you, there's no way you can read your Bible and come to that conclusion uh, looking at it honestly because Saddam Hussein had a little bit of impact on the world, but he wasn't leading the world at that time. And so, so this, that was not the fall of Mystery Babylon. Now the preterists, remember those preterists that we talk about from time to time, they believe that every event in Revelation took place in the first century. So they believe that the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was the fall of Babylon. But again, Jerusalem doesn't even fit the description of Babylon, so we know that's not true, and we know, I don't know what Bible you're reading to believe that all these events took place in the first century. Some of these you might could compare to Nero and some of the things he did and some of the things the other emperors did, and the fall of Jerusalem does look kind of apocalyptic, and I'm sure it did to the Jews at that time, but that is not, Christ has not returned, and anybody who thinks Christ has returned and the devil's been put in the pit, I don't know what world they're looking at because the devil is out loose and he's wreaking havoc on this world as we speak. So, so preterism for me is out. Now, one of the most popular interpretations or views of this fall of Babylon is that it is, is a fall of a city in the United States of America. And, I'm, you know, my brother thinks maybe it's Hollywood. Well, you know what, we can joke about that, but you look at Hollywood and you look at Los Angeles and you look at all the demonic influence that's being spread throughout the world from Hollywood and you could very well see that Hollywood very well might fit in as Babylon. And then you look at some of the other cities in the United States and you can say the same thing about them, but especially New York City. You talk about a city that's under demonic influence, New York City is under demonic influence. I mean, it is heavily under demonic influence. Let me give you one example to prove my point. Uh, you might have noticed in the news this past week, there was an article from the New Yorker talking about Chick-fil-A coming into New York City and how and the governor and uh, the New York Times and all of these uh, uh, publishers are voicing out an outcry, outrage that this Christian influence would come upon their city. I, I mean, what would be wrong with that? They should embrace the idea of having some Christian influence in their city. Why do they hate 
Christians coming into their city because they are under demonic influence. I mean, you, you read this, this uh, second part of uh, verse number 2. It's a place for every foul spirit and cage for every unclean and hated bird. New, New York City is full of demons. It's full of demonic influence. It's also uh, the headquarters of the United Nations, which is a one-world organization in opposition to Israel, and in oppos- if it's in opposition to Israel, let me tell you what, it's in opposition to God. And, and so uh, it's also the center of the world's finances. And so New York City very well might be the city that is this Babylon the Great that falls here in chapter number 18. That's why, you know, I said last week, whenever I study Revelation, I get to chapter 17, and I'm convinced that Mystery Babylon is Rome. Then I get to chapter 18, and I'm convinced that it's New York City. Well, it's got to be one or the other. Actually, I think if you take the facts as they are, you have to conclude that it is Rome. And, uh, uh, but look. When we look again, you look at verse number 15. It says, the waters on which the harlot sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That means that all of these cities in the Great Tribulation are going to be like Babylon. And they are all going to fall in judgment uh, during the Great Tribulation. We were in in Paris a few months back, and and, uh, i got to tell you, it's got great food. But you talk about an antichrist city. That is an antichrist city. I mean, I, you ought to read some of the things that come out of their government about uh, 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 one world order and, and uh, uh, the, the proclamations they make against Israel. And all of that is in opposition to God. And those, things, those governments are going to fall. So I believe, again, that the, that the Babylon uh, that we're reading about here in Scripture is headquartered uh, in Rome, it refers to a, the one world religion, and it's used interchangeably. It refers to the one world religion, and it refers to the one world government. All right, and that's the picture that you see here. Look at verse number three. It's a, that's exactly what we see right here. It says, for all the nations, I mean, not just Rome, for all the nations, in verse number three, have drunk of the wine of her, the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through what? Through the abundance of her luxury. Now, when I look at, the, at that phrase, the abundance of her luxury, cities in the United States certainly fit that mold more than Rome does. But I think that's going to change in the Great Tribulation when Rome, the Roman Empire is revived and it's headquartered in Rome, then most of the wealth of the world then is going to be centered there in Rome. It's going to shift from America to Rome. That might be good news for us. That might mean that maybe somehow, wouldn't it be great? You know, we talk about, we, we see these scary things and we see the destruction of the world coming, the destruction of these cities coming. Wouldn't it be great? Because not all peoples are going to be destroyed. We know that. In the end, there are going to be some people left. There's going to be people get saved in the Great Tribulation. Wouldn't it be great if there was a revival in the United States of America and we, we got out away from that one world order. We opposed that one world order right to the very end. Wouldn't that be great? And I believe that's a possibility, and that's what we need to pray for. But when the great tribulation begins and the church is removed from this earth, then 
that spirit of Antichrist will have permeated all the nations and all the religions that are left on earth, and, and they will all have become uh, humanistic and materialistic, uh, and it will all be about self-gratification. That's where you see this phrase right here in verse number uh, 3, through the abundance of her luxury. Everybody is going to want material things. They're going to want to self-gratification. They're going to want to do what they want to do. And so everyone is going to share in the wrath of Babylon. Everyone in every nation is going to share in the wrath of Babylon. Now go with me to verse number uh, 4 and 5, and we'll, these will be the last two verses we look at today. Revelation 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues, for her sins have reached heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, those who believe that the United States of America is Babylon actually believe that this text is telling them or telling those who believe that statement that they need to come out of America before it's too late. I actually read a book, and don't quote me on this because I'm not sure it's him, but I believe it was Steve Farrar's book, Get Into the Ark. And in that book, he believes America is the great Babylon and that America is about to be judged and about to be destroyed. And he actually says in that book, now it's either his book or another one I read at the same time. I'm thinking it was his book. But it was from a conservative evangelical scholar. And uh, he said, you need to pack up and start looking for another place to live because America's about to be judged. Now, I certainly believe America might be about to be judged, but my question back to him would be, where are you going to go? I mean, where are you going to go? Like I say, I do some traveling, and every time I get on an airplane, the happiest thing that happens to me is the day I get back. And I'm back in America. I'm back in the United States. I, I lived in Europe for three summers, and I've I got to tell you right now, I mean, every, I couldn't wait for those three months to end every year and get back to America and McDonald's and fries and all those good things we have. Now, they got those over there now. The problem is they're about, the hamburgers are about $5 a piece. But we're not talking about hamburgers here. There's something more serious going on. I mean, America still is the greatest country on this earth. There are more Christians in America. They say there's more in South Korea. I don't know. I believe that. I believe there are more Christians in America than there are anywhere else in the, in, in the world, per capita anyway. Some people say in China there's more Christians. But, but we are also got another element in this country that's, that's full of darkness. It's full of demonic influence. We've, in some ways, you see all of these shootings. Let me tell you what. Uh, in high schools and all of these places across the United States, all of that is demonic. I mean, what's happening is demonic. Every single one of those kids, if you read those stories, they're on some kind of drug, some kind of drug that, that uh, supposedly uh, they're bipolar and supposedly uh, it, it uh, rids them of that problem. There's nothing going to rid you of demonic oppression and demonic possession other than for you to be come to Jesus Christ and get have those demons cast out. And I'm afraid we're going to see not less of these kind of things. We're going to see a lot more of these things as we approach the Great Tribulation. But still, I, I don't know that, United, that there's a better place to be than in the United States, and hopefully we'll see some kind of uh, uh, 
revival. But again, this term Babylon here, it's used interchangeably between the one world government, as I mentioned earlier, and the one world religion. And I think right here what uh, the angel is telling the people, he's saying to God's people, you're to come out of that one world religion. You're to come out, not so much leave the United States or leave Rome if you're a Roman, you're to come out of that one world religion. Why? For her sins have reached heaven and God has remembered her iniquities and she's about to be judged. So God's saying, hey, if you're part of a church like that, you need to run for the exits. I mean, if, if you're part of a, that one world religion, that movement toward an uh, antichrist one world religion, then you need to come out of her, my people, because she is an abomination to the Lord. And, and, and that, if I'm a Christian, I don't want to be part of anything that's an abomination to the Lord. Do you? I mean, if you're truly born again, we want to serve the Lord. We want to do the things that please the Lord. We certainly don't want to be part of a church or part of, a, of, a, part of any activity that is an abomination to the Lord. And as this world marches on towards the great tribulation and this age of apostasy that we read about in the Bible and we've studied here on a couple of occasions, it's going to be harder and harder to find a church that's not part of the harlot. It's, it's going to get harder to do that. And, and let me give you some examples of those churches. And I've already talked about this before, but, but, but here's where a lot of them are heading right now. Those churches that teach that religion is all about uh, gaining wealth, in other words, gaining an abundance of luxury, that is antichrist. That is, that is part of the great harlot, and that church is going to be judged. I, what am I talking about here? Well, let me, let me put it real bluntly. I almost want to name some names here. But health, wealth. These pastors that teach health, wealth, they are part of the great harlot. And what's amazing to me, they're flocking to Rome. They're flocking to Rome and talking about becoming part of this one world government. I want to name names so bad here I could scream. Kenneth Copeland. Uh, people like that. Uh, James Robinson. They're flocking over to Rome and they're actually... I heard James Robinson say, this Pope is our vicar of Christ, and we need to unite behind him. See, that is antichrist, and that is part of the great harlot, and it's going to be judged. And those who follow those people, who are duped by those people to the end, they're going to be judged today. So what does the Lord say if you're part of a health well church? Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and you receive her plagues. In other words, you'll be judged right along with that church. You'll be here in the great tribulation. If you're not part of the great tribulation, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell if that's your religion. Any church that perverts the word of God, and I mentioned this earlier, or the gospel of Jesus Christ with relativism or universalism, that church is antichrist, and it's part of the great harlot. We're not mincing words here very much. I mean, we're actually telling it like it is. But when you get older, you do these things. You don't, you don't nurse, you don't uh, sugarcoat them at all. So what does God say to a church that's relativistic or universalistic? He says, 
if you're part of that church, he says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, or you receive of her plagues. Someone sent me an article this past Sunday, uh, and it was an article about Pope Francis' encounter with a gay man and who was a survivor of clerical abuse. And I want you to hear what he told him. He says, God, I'm, this is quote now. He says, God has made you gay, and he loves you just the way you are, and I love you just the way you are, so you have to be happy with just the way you are. Do you see the problem with that? I'm going to see lots of problems with that. First of all, that excuses the priest who molested the kid because he was gay anyway. He was going that way anyway. And it excuses the man in his continuous practice of that sin. And look, you could take that kind of thinking, and I don't want to pick on homosexuals here, but this is where it's all heading in reference to every single sin that people commit. I mean, you could apply it to anything. You could say the adulterer. God made you that way. And God loves you just the way you are, so just keep right on being an, an adulterer and uh, just be happy in what you're doing. Or you could say to the drunkard. You could say to the drunkard. You could say, uh, God loves you that way. I mean, uh, God made you that way. You just keep right on doing what you're doing and, and, and everything will be fine. And, and just find joy in what you're doing. You could say to the thief, or to the liar, God made you that way. And, and God loves you that way. Just be happy being a thief and just be happy being a liar. You see the problem with that? Man, God didn't make any of us that way. I mean, here's our problem. We inherited the sin nature from Adam, and that's why we're that way. But we'd better not stay that way, because if we stay that way, we will never enter the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul says. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a minute. Just a few books back. The first Corinthians chapter six. Listen to what listen to what Paul says here. I don't think he's going to say God made you that way. Just be happy that way. Go right on doing what you're doing, and everything will be fine. Watch what he says in chapter six, verse number nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does that mean? That means you will not go to heaven. You will go to hell. That's what it means. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. See, what the Antichrist is all about is deceiving people. People will be deeped, duped, big time during the Great Tribulation. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, nor gossips, nor liars, will in, or slanderers. I could go on the list as long. You can find it elsewhere, a little longer list. Sinners, people who continually practice sin. And 
say it thinks it's okay, it's okay to practice sin. They will, not, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. They won't go to heaven. Look at the good news here, though. This is what Paul's saying. Hey, we're all falling to one of these classes right here. I mean, covetousness. I mean, I think I fall there. I've certainly been covetous since I've been born again. And what about you? What Paul's saying, he said, this isn't who you are. You've been changed. He's telling the Corinthians, wake up. Now, they, I think some of them were falling back into these practices. And he wasn't saying you're going to hell because you fall back into these practices. He's saying, wake up. This is not who you are. Look at the next, next part of this verse. He says, and such were some of you. That's what you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. Wake up. But you were washed. What were you washed with? You were washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Where did that blood come from? He died for you. Wake up, he says. Wake up. You don't want to live like this anymore. You were washed by his blood. You were sanctified by his blood. You were justified. You were made righteous. Perfectly righteous. That's who you are. Don't live like you used to live. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by, not just by the blood. You were washed in the blood. That cleansed you. But you're sanctified by the Spirit of God. That's the gospel right there. And you twist that and you try to lessen that and you say it's okay to go right on sinning. What you're doing, you're giving somebody a one-way ticket to hell. You're not saving them. You're not being kind to them. What the Pope was doing to that guy, he was condemning that guy to hell if he kept doing that. And it's antichrist. Jesus didn't die on a cross. He didn't give us his Holy Spirit so that we could remain sinners. He gave it to us so that we could be holy. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Without holiness, you will not see God. Unless you've been changed by the Spirit of God and washed in the blood and you're a new person, you will not see, see God. Christ came to change us, not to say you're okay where you are. He didn't come to do that at all. He made us a new creation. And by making us a new creation, if we were a homosexual before we got saved, we're no longer a homosexual. If we were a drunkard before we got saved, we're no longer a drunkard. If we were an adulterer before we got saved, we're no longer an adulterer. If we were a liar before we got saved, we know we're no longer a liar. Now, that doesn't mean we won't lie occasionally. That doesn't mean we won't get drunk occasionally. That doesn't mean we might even commit adultery. David committed adultery and murdered somebody. We might fall into one of these sins, but it's not who we are. And for people to tell you who, that's who you are, and to accept that sin, that is heresy from hell. And it's going to send people to hell. You've got to be born again. You've got to be changed. And if you haven't been changed, and there are a world of people who say that they're in the church, but they've never been changed by the Spirit of God, they've never been washed in the blood, and they're on a one-way trip to hell. And they're calling themselves Christians. And it's not so. And that's why it gets me so mad when I see somebody say something like that. And it's antichrist. And if anyone is teaching that kind of stuff, you need to run as far away from them as you possibly can get because it is part of the whore of Babylon. It is antichrist. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, 
you got these antinomian churches that are saying, hey, you just be the way you are. On the other side of the spectrum, let me tell you what, there's a group of people in, the, in Christendom, and we see this more in the Protestant area, that will tell you that they will teach you that you've got to change yourself. Man, that's even worse. You've got to change yourself. In other words, you've got to keep a set of rules. You've got to do this and you don't do this. And by doing that, you're pleasing to God and you're sanctifying yourself. Let me tell you what, that's another ticket to hell. And we see that on the conservative wing, the right wing of the Protestant, with the Protestant denominations. And that will get you to hell too. So, anybody that teaches something different from this plain and true gospel of Jesus Christ is anti-Christ. And you've got to come out of that anti-Christ religion. Now, I'm preaching to the choir here, and hopefully we aren't anti-Christ because if we're anti-Christ, I'm anti-Christ, and we're in a deep world of hurt, all of us. And the trumpet's going to blow, and we're going to all be sitting here that Sunday, and y'all going to say, what are we doing here? I'm going to tell you what. You follow, don't follow me, you follow Christ. You follow Christ, you follow this word, you won't be here when the trumpet blows. You will be out of here by the grace of God. But in the meantime, you better make sure you've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You better make sure you've been truly born again. Because any church, listen to me, that treats this false doctrine that we see permeating this world, it is anti-Christ, and you need to come out of her. Now, there's going to be some people that are going to say, well, pastor, I'm not much of a theologian. How do I know if the doctrine is false? How do I know if I'm involved in a church that's anti-Christ, that's part of the whore of Babylon? Well, my first advice to you is you need to become a theologian. Look, theologians, there's theologians and there's theologians. There's theologians who think they know more about the Bible than everybody else, and they've studied the Greek, and they've studied the Hebrew. People like me, no, I'm teasing. But, but they're, they're really, they're almost a superior race they think they are, some theologians. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being Bereans. Every one of you should be a theologian. Every single one of you should know this gospel. You should know the truth of this word. That's your responsibility. God has given you this word, and you need to study this word. And the Bible's real clear in 1 John. You don't need anyone to teach you. You have the Spirit of God to teach you. You have an anointing, little children. So you can study this word on your own. You, but you've got to take the effort to do it. If you take the effort to do it, I'm not going to be able to fool you. Nobody's going to be able to fool you because you're going to be, if you're born-again Christian and you're growing in the word, you're going to know what's truth and you're going to know what's false. So first of all, become a theologian. But second of all, in case you're not a theologian, you don't want to become a theologian, let me give you a rule of thumb. A rule of thumb to know whether or not a church or individual is anti-Christ. They're part of this whore of Babylon. Let me, let me, let me give you the, the number one clue. You can't tell them from the rest of the world. You can't tell them from the rest of the world. I mean, you, you go to a church where it, where uh, its leaders are worldly. I mean, its doctrine is materialistic, its doctrine is worldly. 
It's humanistic doctrine. It doesn't really believe the word of God. It's no different from going to high school or anywhere else. I mean, I, I saw in the news this past week where, where uh, uh, the Episcopal Church, and the largest Episcopal Church in San Francisco had a mass for Beyonce. Well, if you can't tell that's Antichrist, I really feel sorry for you. They, they normally have 50 people there. There's like 900 people there for that, for that service. I mean, they're dying church, but they can do that, and they'll pack the, they, they, you know, fill the place up. That is Antichrist. It's Antichrist. And, and I tell you what, that's the same way. You spot a true believer, or you tell the difference between a true believer and a false believer. A believer of this false church. Are they any different from the world? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Are we any different from the rest of the world? If we're no different from the rest of the world, look, I like, I like ice cream sundaes and chocolate cake and all sorts of things. I like nice motorcycles, cars. I, I'm not as lustful about motorcycles as Winford is, but I like, I like nice motorcycles. Nice home. I like all those kind of things. And, and, and maybe I'm too materialistic. I, in fact, if I was to judge myself, I am too materialistic. But I'm also different. I mean, if I hang out with a group of people that are worldly and unsaved, I don't fit in. And if we fit into those situations, and there's no difference between us and them, look, we're not to come out of this world, not yet. We, Jesus says you're in the world, but you're not of this world. Amen. That means we, God places us where he's placed us, but we should be different. People should see that we're different. And if they can't see that we're any different, then it might very well be that we're not even saved. I mean, if we're just as worldly as our next door lost pagan neighbor, then there's something wrong with us. And we, of all people, should represent truth and we should represent righteousness. How do we do that? How do we do that? We separate ourselves from this world. That's an action we have to take. We separate ourselves from, from this world. One more passage, and I'll close with this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the next book over. That's why I didn't tell you to go back to Revelation. And, and you see this, this same exhortation, just like the angel gives the people in the Great Tribulation. He says to the people of the church, he says, come out of this false religion, my, my people. Come out of this horror of Babylon, my people. Well, before the Great Tribulation, Paul gives us the same exhortation. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52 in verse number 17 of 2 Corinthians 6, and listen to what he says. Come out. This isn't for you now. This isn't in the Great Tribulation. In the Great Tribulation, if you haven't come out and done this, you'll be in the Great Tribulation. You'll get to hear this again from the angel. But those of us who have listened to this, we're not going to hear this again. This is for us now. And this is a daily exhortation. It says, come out from among them. You're still in the world, but we're to come out from among them 
and be separate. What's that word mean? It means be holy. Without holiness, you will not see God. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will, boy, look at the promise here. I will receive you in a way you've never known me before. I'm adding there a little interpretation, but that's what God's saying. You will know me then. You know, if I ask you how many people in this room know God as their father, how many of y'all know God as your father? Okay, but do you really know God as your father? I'm like, don't raise your hand on this one. Do you really sense that he's your father? Do you have a relationship with him like you had with your earthly father? Will you talk to him every day? When, I'm talking about when you were a child and you were living at home. You talk to him every day. You, 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 you share your plans with him. You ask him for his wisdom before you make any decisions. I mean, do you have that kind of relationship? That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. But for you to have that kind of relationship, you've got to separate yourself from the world. And he says, if you do that, I will be a father to you, and you will know that you're my sons, and you will know that you're my daughters in a way you've never known me before. And I got to tell you, when you are close to the Lord and you're sensing the presence of the Lord, there is nothing like that feeling. There is nothing like that position. You come out of this world. You just try it. You come away from that television set. You come away from all the worldly things and activity. Look, I'm not saying throw your TV away, but, but maybe put it up every once in a while and go spend some time with the Lord. Come out and be separate. And just watch what God does in your life. Watch how that relationship blossoms and grows into a wonderful experience day to day. The only way you can have that is when you've separated yourself from the Lord. So the Lord says to everybody in the Great Tribulation, and he says to everybody now, come out from among them and their evil ways and I will receive you. You don't come out. You continue to practice sin. And you're going to share inner place. When Babylon's destroyed, you will be destroyed. When death and trouble come your way, you're going to be destroyed. But if you do come out, you're going to share in the grandest blessings of God you have ever received. Come out, my children, the Lord says, and be separate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this great text and, and the message you give us here, Lord, is so clear. You want us to be separate. You want us to quit practicing sin and be the kind of people you bade us to be. Lord, you've washed us by your blood. You've saved us by your Holy Spirit. You've sanctified us by your Holy Spirit. Father, it's our choice then to, to come out and be separate and be holy and different from the rest of this world. Lord, we don't want to be anti-Christ. We don't want to be part of the whore of Babylon. We want to be full of your spirit and part of your kingdom, not just in the sweet by and by, but now on this earth, this very day in which we live. We can do that, Lord. We know we can do that by your power and your grace. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.